How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to episode three of Bay 13. This week will be a little shorter, and we're going to be covering a couple different topics, such as starting out as an automotive technician, uh, what tools you're going to need, and what you're getting yourself into. First, let's go over a question we had from a listener. The listener asks, how do I start the journey down the road to become a mechanic? Well, the answer to that is not so simple. There's actually a couple different things you can do. If you're in high school, you can try taking an automotive class if your school has one or talk to other students that work on their own cars. I know that when I was in high school, my high school didn't actually have an auto shop, but I did have friends that would work on their cars almost daily. And so what I did is I'd go over and help them work on their cars, and then in turn I'd learn. If you don't really want to talk to other students or if no, nobody else that you know of works on their own car, and your school doesn't have an auto shop, you can actually try going to a career day in your city or that your school will take you to and look for automotive opportunities. It could be anything from uh, like a booth they have set up to maybe it's a local shop that is looking for technicians. If you're in college or even out of college, you can consider taking an automotive course or two at your local college. There's many different courses that you can take, ranging from about six months to two years. Uh, I took a six-month class. It was pretty basic, called Light Repair and Maintenance. And it pretty much went over how to fix a flat tire, how to do alignments. You know, just basic maintenance stuff, not a lot of repair, usually repairing flats. After I took the six-month program, I dove into a two-year program called the Ford Asset Program. And a two-year program will literally go in-depth about just about everything, uh, including transmissions, both automatic and manual transmissions. It'll take you through diesel engine performance and gasoline engine performance, and even electrical. It's a really good program, and I would recommend it to anybody seriously considering looking into becoming a technician. The second listener asks, why do you call yourself an automotive technician instead of a mechanic? There's really two reasons. One, because the name sounds a little cooler than mechanic, and the, the industry renamed the position of mechanic when there was a high demand of people, and nobody wanted to be a mechanic, people wanted to be technicians. The industry is actually doing a lot better now that they've changed the name. The second reason why they changed the name is a technician diagnoses the root problem of a concern and then fixes it while a mechanic only replaces the parts he's told to replace or the parts that he thinks are needed to be replaced. And while that's not true for everything, I do know a lot of mechanics that call themselves mechanics that do do diagnosis. That is kind of what the industry has been leaning towards. As always, if you guys have any questions you would like answered, go ahead and shoot us a quick email at bay13.wn at gmail.com. And with that being said, let's move on to our first topic we have today. The first topic we have today is starting out as an automotive technician. Alright, so you managed to land yourself a job as an automotive technician. You should congratulate yourself on that task. It's not always that easy. There's going to be a long road ahead of you depending on your abilities. So the question I get asked most often is what is the pay like as an automotive technician? And should I really be pursuing a career in automotive if it doesn't pay so well? Well, there's really no simple way to describe this or explain this. Uh, there's two types of pay. There's flat rate and hourly. 
Flat rate is a term used when describing someone, I guess, who gets paid by flagged hours rather than how many hours he or she actually works in a day or in their shift. And flagged hours are hours that are listed in the workshop manual. So let's say you do an oil change and a rotate. An oil change pays 0.3 hours, while a rotate pays 0.2 hours, with half an hour total. If you're flat rate, you get paid a half an hour regardless of how many time you actually spend working on the vehicle. If you spend 10 minutes working on the vehicle, you still get the half hour. If you spend 40 minutes on the vehicle, you still only get paid the half an hour. This can be both a good and a bad thing for the most part. Uh, if you're really good at what you do and you find your little niche that you can sit in and just pound out a lot of work, you don't really have to worry about being flat rate. You'll probably actually make money if you're doing everything faster than what the book says. Although if you haven't quite found your your spot or you're still trying to find your stride, uh, being hourly is probably going to be the best the best bet for you. Chances are if you're starting out like I am, I'm only about a year in, and I don't think I am ready to go flat rate. There's still a couple jobs that I get that I can't I can't do below the time. And so at least for me, that's, that's why I like to be hourly. If you don't know a whole lot, it's really easy to get lost in workshop manuals. There's pages on pages on pages of how to do things. And if you don't really know what to look for or in what sections everything is, you're going to get lost looking through all of it. Now, you're probably worried with what kind of work you're going to be getting. And it's really all based on your skill level and what your employers think your skill level is. The faster you do something, the higher your the higher your employers will think your skill level is, and the slower, the lower your skill level. If you're still worried about what things the shop will have you do as starting out, it's partly dependent on your skill level. And then there's those things that always need to be done, such as oil change and tire rotations. Uh, once you kind of move away from that and you're ready for something a little more advanced, at least in my dealership, there's a recall out for a couple different cars. It's called the 16S30 Door Latch Replacement Recall. I've been doing those for the last couple months. I got really good at them, and I can do them in way under the time that the book has me do them. I guess one way to look at recalls, because they are very repetitive, it is literally doing the same thing to every car all day. One way to turn it kind of into a game is to see how fast you can do it without messing anything up. The faster you do that recall, the higher your score. The only catch being is if you mess something up, that vehicle is now disqualified and you, you can't use that time for your time trial. The more times you do a recall, the faster you'll be in, generally the better. And when you get really good at these recalls like I have, uh, you now start kind of working towards working on other things. So you got yourself an internship with a shop or an apprenticeship with a shop. You've been using your mentor's tools for a little while and you now are starting to wonder what kind of tools that you should buy for yourself. You have to remember that tools are an investment. You can't drink water without a glass of some sort. And that kind of means if you don't have tools, you can't do any work. If you can't do any work, you're not making any money. Uh, this is kind of one of those situations where you need money to make money. You need money to buy tools, and you need tools to make money to buy more tools. It's a cycle, and it, it will never stop. Working at a bigger dealership, we constantly having tool trucks coming in and out of the shop. They sell tools to us at a pretty good price. And me being a student or someone who has just gotten out of school, I actually get a pretty decent discount on most tools that they have. 
generally not all the time, but Snap-on usually comes on Mondays, Mac Tools about Tuesday, Cornwall usually comes about Wednesday, and Thursday, Friday, there's really nobody that comes around unless uh, one of the other companies forgot to come on a day or didn't have time or couldn't make it out to your shop. I would definitely recommend spending more money on tools than a tool box, but make sure you have enough room in your box for all the tools that you have. There's nothing wrong with buying a Harbor Freight toolbox or a Husky toolbox from Home Depot for the first year or two of your career. They work well enough to get the job done and they're actually not that bad of a toolbox. The way that I started building my tool collection is I went to Harbor Freight and Home Depot. I bought a ton of cheap tools, or I guess all the tools at Harbor Freight are cheap, but that's what I bought. They'll work for the time being and as they break, like let's say my wire strippers break, I'll wait till Tuesday when Mac Tools comes and I'll buy another one from Mac. This kind of goes for everything. I have a bunch of sockets that have broken and I replace those with either Snap-on or Mac Tools. Um, Snap-on and Mac are just my personal preference. I don't have anything against Cornwall or any of the other companies, but that's just usually what I just what I buy. Everybody really has their set preference. Uh, they're two different companies, they have a lot of different tools that the other one doesn't have, and they also have a lot of the same tools. Uh, I buy most of my tools through Mac because I have Mondays off. When the Snap-on Man comes, I'm not there. And the Mac Man is always there when I need him to be, and when I need a new tool. Kind of a little side note, when I was little, I didn't actually know what Snap-on was. When somebody said Snap-on Tools, I always got confused, and I, I would always ask, almost religiously, what did they snap onto? It wasn't until college I realized what it actually meant when a snap-on tool representative came out to speak with us about buying tools. But depending on what kind of work you do, there's a lot of different tools you need to buy, and there's also going to just be tools that you need uh, because they really work on everything. I talked to a couple of the technicians I work with that have been wrenching since the 70s, and he said to start out, he has a couple recommendations. A good flashlight. You can't work if you can't see. A combination wrench set, 8 to 22 millimeters. He said everything is metric these days, or just about everything is metric, and you don't see as much standard as you used to. A good multimeter, because everything is digital, and if it's not, it will be in a couple of years. You need your basic uh, quarter inch, three eighths, and half inch ratchets and sockets. A few different gasket scrapers of different widths. Uh, small and large hammer, diagonal cutters, needle nose pliers, and adjustable pliers. Good pair of vice grips. Long and short breaker bars in half inch, but also three eighths. If you get the half inch breaker bar, you can always use a half inch to three eighths reduction if you're in a pinch. You also need a screwdriver set. These are just more of the basic tools that you're going to need. Chances are you're going to need a lot more than that, but as you find the need for them, you'll be able to buy them from one of the tool trucks or go out and buy them online. But always remember that a tool will make you money, but a toolbox won't make you anything. So with that, I recommend always spending more money on tools than a box. The only exception is if you have so many tools that they're unorganized and you're spending more time looking for a tool than you would if you had a bigger box, I'd say go buy yourself a bigger box and save yourself the headache. That's going to kind of finish out the tools section of this episode. 
Uh, now we're going to kind of go into what you're getting yourself into. Uh, this is going to be kind of a shorter section because the tool section was a lot longer. You'll probably find yourself asking, what did I get myself into within the first month of work? Well, the answer to that is a lot of good and a lot of bad. There's usually three types of days. There's good days where everything works out and it's going smoothly and you have a smile on your face, listen to music, you know, just love and life. There's the bad days where you're you're fighting everything to make something work. You just can't get a bolt loose or you can't diagnose a vehicle or it's intermittent and you can't get it to act up. And then there's worse days where you can't figure out what you're diagnosing and you're getting frustrated, making stupid mistakes, uh, breaking things, trying to fix things. It happens to everybody. You get frustrated and you, you stop being so careful and it's just a mess. The worst days won't usually last that long. The longest I've had one of those days last is like two days. Uh, the third day was sucky, but it wasn't that bad. It's actually on the way to getting a lot better. Just know that the bad days will be bad and the good days will be good. And if you can't stick through the bad days, you will never make it to the good days. And with that, that's going to finish out this episode. If you guys have any stories of you guys having a bad day or a really good day, uh, we'd love to hear about it. Let us know at bay13.wn at gmail.com. And as always, our email and our Facebook page will be linked in the description. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to us on soundcloud.com forward slash bay13 underscore wn and on facebook.com forward slash bay13.wn. We'll see you guys next Monday for episode 4 of Bay 13.